I'm Alan Barr, and this is Radio Free RPG. Hello, I'm Alan Barr, and welcome to Radio Free RPG. Today I'm joined by my guest, Levi Combs of Planet X Games. Levi, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I am doing very well. It's cooled off here and been kind of rainy, which has been nice. I wish it would do that here. <laughs> Southern Maryland is a is a uh, is a, is a, a hellhole right now. <laughs> that uh, North Dakota is will be in three to six months. So <laughs> when when they make jokes about hell freezing over, I assume they refer to here. Oh. <laughs> I find I found North Dakota to be uh, super beautiful, but also a little forlorn, a little desolate in, in, in spots. So I, I get you. I could see it. I was uh, I was I was raised in uh, Bismarck, North Dakota. So right on. left for 15 years and then randomly came back from my wife's job to a different town in North Dakota. So yeah, right on. All right. <laughs> yeah, I had a taste of the good life somewhere else, and now I'm back. So <laughs> now, Levi, you run operate uh, head muckety muck at planet x games yes sir what is planet x games all about because i was going to ask you a question and i was struggling to define sort of what planet x is uh well we make uh, we make games i mean but to to point in on that really it's we make adventure modules, zines, and then we've kind of gotten into some, into some other stuff as well. We don't have a system of our own. And when I say we, I mean me, you know, <laughs> like it's, 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 a, it's primarily me with a, just a, a cast of, of, uh, of folks that I've worked with uh, sure. more or less from day one. So yeah, we don't have our own system, but I do a lot of stuff for Dungeon Crawl Classics. I do stuff for, Fifth edition, or or at least I did. I'm kind of phasing out of that as as that goes away. Um, and then OSR, OSE, and um, I've gotten into some 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 other smaller uh, game systems that I just personally enjoy. So, sure, yeah, doing stuff for those. Okay, so you know, uh, it sounds like you primarily make supplemental material for the D20 space. And yeah, I think you describe it. Yeah, that's a, actually, a, a, I'm going I'm to steal that, actually. I'm, next time it's somebody asks you that question, I'm 100% asking them. <laughs> that's going great. That. I'll take it. Um, but you, you really specialize in what I would call a 70s and 80s inspired sort of acid science fantasy aesthetic, I think. There's a lot of this sort of surrealist fantasy vibe, at least to the artwork and to the books I have on my shelf from Planet X Games, which is... Not an inconsiderable number. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. I like to go with weird fantasy, but um, I can see that acid fantasy um, moniker sticking. Um, it it sort of reminds me of those 70s style blacklight posters. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> like, you would see it maybe in an old bowling alley downtown, right? <laughs> I will take that as a compliment, sir. No, it absolutely is because there is, there is a there is a charm and an authenticity to that uh, presentation, especially you know, you know fifty years removed from the seventies. Sure. That I that I think really helps your games come across in a in a positive light. So definitely a compliment. 
Yeah, the, the the best piece of advice I ever got in in RPGs, whether it was writing or publishing or whatever, was from Jeff Telanian, and he said, "Just be genuine. No matter what you do, uh, just make it genuine because." You know, people who are buying your material, they can smell a fake. Um, and then they'll 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 root you out quickly if you're not putting out stuff that you believe in or that you would enjoy yourself. So that's kind of been my mantra since yeah, since my very first thing was to okay. yeah, was to just make genuine stuff and things that I would want to play myself. I mean, I think that's excellent advice, and I, I've repeated similar advice to people when I've given panels or seminars. So I certainly can't argue with that. No, that was definitely a great piece of advice. Served me well. <laughs> yeah. So with that in mind, you know, I have I have a few Planet X products on my shelf. Probably the we'll call it the weirdest or the strangest one is uh, your King Tut Western. Oh yeah, yeah. That's one. Of my, that's my favorite one I've ever done. Actually, is it okay? Well, you've answered my follow up question. So, what what is this? What is like? What's the name? Where can folks find it? What is it about? Like, what made you sit down? Because I saw it and I went, "Oh, somebody made Bubba Hotep into a Western adventure." <laughs> like that was immediately my first thought, and that is completely not what it is, like in any way. So, if you buy it on that recommendation, folks, don't like. I am me angry about it. Okay, I it is not Bubba Hotep, but a Western. <laughs> No, it's the full title is uh, King Tut's Rootin' Tootin' Weird West Extrava Bonanza, and then in little tiny letters and Western wear. It's uh, you know, I was I was uh, working as a bartender for for a lot of years, and I had a regular um, who would come in, and uh, he was a comedian. His name is Colin Nelson, and uh, he was just talking about. Rootin' Tootin', Weird West, Extrava Bonanza, all this stuff one day. And I, I, was, I just stopped what I was doing. And I was like, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. What did you just say? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, Rootin' Tootin', Weird West, Extrava, yeah, Extrava Bonanza, uh, and, uh, and Western Wear. And I, it was just like some drunken rant. But I was like, oh, that's the most genius title I've ever heard in my life. So I added a few things in. But it was like, hey, would you mind if I wrote that down and then, and then used that? I have an idea for something. And then, yeah, and then lo and behold, like five years later, I was looking for a title, a proposed title for like a Weird West project because I had all these ideas. And I thought, oh, my God, I got to call Colin. And, uh, yeah, he was very kind to let me use. Okay. And, I, and I thank him on the, on the credits page as well. So Sure. Well, that's, I mean, that's a great reason to have a title there. Uh, <laughs> it, well, my personal favorite of your work released so far, and this is primarily due to I just I adore the cover art, is your uh ion stone king adventure for 5e yeah glimmering crypt of the ion king yeah yes um and one i love it because i think ion stones are disregarded too much give me more floaty magic rocks that circle my head please i would like to be a mini solar system (laughs) yes absolutely (laughs) but the cover art is just wildly evocative i to the point where when I first saw it, I had to stop. And I've art directed a lot of books because we we have done, we, we release anywhere from 30 to 60 things a year. Most of them have at some level of custom art. I am art directing dozens of artists. And I had to stop and I had to look at it because I was so just wildly impressed by the quality of that cover piece alone. So, I mean, first of all, who's the artist? Oh, that's Adrian Landeros, um, who has done 
all my covers for 5e stuff and about half the covers for other things mm-hmm. had tons of interiors he's a fantastic artist that i've been working with since my very first product so and what you know what was the process like for that particular piece? I'm really selfishly interested in how that one came to fruition because it was so striking to me that, you know, I want to know what that looked like for you. Yeah. There's, there's a couple pieces to that. The very first would be, it's kind of an homage, uh, an homage piece to a cover to strange adventures. There's a, I don't remember the, the, the number it's like 80, 81, but it's a, it's a skeleton in a spacesuit sitting on like a ragged, like uh, ejection seat and all these, Kind of like bug people are worshiping it. Uh, and I really like the way that cover looks. It's been one of my favorites forever and a day. I just like skeletons in a spacesuit, anyways. That's just, it just draws me in. But I, I like the composition of that cover. That. And I thought, well, what if there's like an undead dwarf wizard sitting on a throne? And instead of a like an injection seat, it's a, just a, a, the throne's made up of all these crazy crystals, like that crazy cave in, uh, in, in Mexico with all the giant selenite crystals. So yeah, that's where that piece came from. But then the the logo was really striking on that as well, and that was designed by a graphic yeah, designer I, named Tracy Steele. She's done a bunch. Yeah, of, I think that's all part of this. Yeah, Tracy's done a bunch of a bunch of that stuff. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's so it hangs together as a full composite piece so well that it's. Hey folks, I mean just go just go look up Glimmering Crypts of the Ion King and like look at it because it it evokes classic fantasy, it evokes that 70s sort of acid metal aesthetic that I love. It evokes just these bright colors and yet it's still weird and kind of dark looking, but so bright about it. Right? We don't and, and one thing I love about it is it stands out in a field of what are usually really kind of dark, moody covers that have dominated the RPG industry lately? And here you've got an adventure that shares a lot of themes with what those dark and moody games, but you've gone the opposite direction with the cover. It is very bright. It is very in-your-face, uh, <laughs> colorful. I mean, it's got the full gambit of glimmering ion crystals. Like, there's a freaking rainbow on that cover, basically. You know, and I and I just love that visual contrast. It really makes it stand out in a great way. In my opinion, yeah, there's something to be said, I think, too, for like brightly lit horror or at least horror fantasy, uh, like Midsummer. You know, that's a good example of a movie that did it, where like all these terrible things are happening, but it's all in broad daylight. You know, so <laughs> you're getting uh, these terrible uh, evolutions. Everything gets worse and worse and worse. The whole thing just takes place right in the middle of the day, and there's nothing dark about it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I, I love it. So, you know, you, you've got a slew of other products. We've touched on this 5e fantasy stuff you do. You've done stuff for DCC. So, now DCC is a game I have only played once as a funnel. I have played it. I have a full set of crazy glow-in-the-dark DCC dice, and I have many DCC books on my shelf. Because, again, and I think they share that sort of appendix and acid fantasy aesthetic in the art, right? There's a visual kind of oozy drippiness to it in the way it's inked and colored that I really love. It's just a fantastic style. And I think it, I think it sets uh, fantasy apart from the, what I would call sort of the standard of the 5e digital art. Oh, a thousand percent. 
Yeah, there's there's two whole different aesthetics going on between uh, Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition and DCC. These they're each their own, very much their own thing, and really couldn't be couldn't be more different when it comes down to differentiating between uh, fantasy types. Yeah, and is that when you are working on this or making these plans or preparing these projects, is that a conscious choice you're making, or is it just a byproduct of the sort of adventure ideas you're coming up with? Like, what was the you know, for chicken or egg, right? What's coming first, the cover art or the adventure idea? This is actually a, one of my favorite things to talk about when it comes to, like, I, when I when I talk to other like, creators like yourself, like, how do you begin an adventure? Like, what's the very first thing that you do? Like, some people, like like Matt Finch, he starts with a map, you know? Right. Or uh, Casey Christopherson, he starts with an outline, you know? But for me, the very first thing I come up with before I come up with anything else is the name. I want a really evocative name. Something okay. If I if I get something that really catches my attention, then I'm like, oh, let me extrapolate off that and you know dig into the well and and see what I have. Okay, I mean, I think that's great. I'm kind of curious, like, what what? How do you start with adventures? Yeah. Generally speaking, I I've I've also. Sorry, listeners, I've just realized that the microphone I thought I was using is, in fact, not my microphone. And I'm using my webcam microphone, which is why I was having trouble. So we'll adjust that in post. But I'm going to I'm gonna up my volume a little bit to make sure I'm getting picked up. So I generally start by hiring somebody else to write it because I hate writing adventures. No. <laughs> that is my first step all the time. Nope. Well, fair enough. <laughs> I, I I find them very frustrating from a creative standpoint, and I, I dislike – I shouldn't say I don't like writing them, but they have to really be something I feel very strongly about wanting to do because I get to work with so many talented people who love doing it. I feel like I may as well just give them the work if they want. Sure. I didn't pay them, right? Like, sure. There's no reason to do it if I don't want to do it, kind of. But my, my creative process is generally I will come up with – mechanics first because i'm all about rules i love tinkering with rule sets changing rule sets creating new ones trying to move the needle and how the tactile element of an rpg happens between dice or cards or whatever very cool um and so i usually come up with some mechanic idea and then i'll structure the game around it from there oh right on okay um, that's a good answer <laughs> and then i'll generally justify the game and then be like okay well i i did this mechanic so it needs to be you know, there's a blood dye mechanic, so now it needs to be hyperviolent. So what's a hyperviolent genre I haven't done? You know what? We should do hyperviolent Greek myth. All right. Swords of Meropis is born, right? Which looks awesome, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the proofs just shipped today. I'm very excited to be able to uh, get that out and fulfill that Kickstarter. It's taken far longer than it was supposed to, but... Well, well if you've been in, you've been in it for any, any amount of time, everybody knows that that happens. <laughs> It yeah. feels like it happens with increasing regularity at this juncture, too. <laughs> Welcome um, to the modern world, right? <laughs> I know. I've been doing this for eight years now, and I we went from being on time and early our first couple Kickstarters to even no matter how much I plan, I will be cutting it very close if I am on time. <laughs> it's, it seems like it's getting that way, for sure. A lot, a lot of drag time on those. You know, you're waiting for things to arrive and pieces and editing, and you've got to get it all back. You've done all your stuff, but... You just seem to be waiting on on everybody well, else, and and like in this case, because we're doing a print on demand delivery through drive through. You know, I base that timeline on drive through. You know, I've ordered hundreds of books from drive through over the years, like hundreds a year from drive through, 
and they are pretty consistent. So I was like, I feel pretty comfortable with this timeline. I baked in a couple extra weeks. I knew Gen Con was coming, so I added some more time. And still, still, despite adding like an extra two months of time to a finished product that was print-on-demand delivery, it is going to be late. Because just, I don't know. <laughs> like I submitted the order when I planned to and like it should have been here three weeks ago and it just shipped today so oh yeah man it's just, just another stripe on your your indie publisher badge you know yeah it's it's what it is but so you know you you have a Kickstarter running right now that is sort of a collaboration or inspired by a friend of mine Laws the Eye yeah Walk us through the closet of the eye wizard. Yeah, so so Laws is a you know he's a, a fabulous uh, member of the DCC community, just an all around good guy. And he had been in contact with all these artists and all these writers, and he had initially reached out to me to write uh, one of the pieces for the book. And I had a really good time writing it. I did kind of a like a weird sort of like grindhousey sort of uh, entry that kind of fits in with my normal aesthetic, you know. Um, and I was looking at the list of of contributors. I was like, wow, this is like a murderer's row of just RPG killers. There's a lot of really you know good guys in this, but right. not only from the DCC community, but from from other games too, you know. So uh, you know, I think it was just originally going to be like a, you know, it was originally going to be like a like a PDF or just something he was making for himself and just through a series of just talking about it and kind of going over it. Um, I ended up with, as the publisher and I said, Hey, we should kickstart this thing and just make a ton of copies and we'll send everybody copies and uh, we'll get everybody taken care of. And it just evolved into just a really cool project, 16 artists, 16 writers, like a hybrid between a, RPG resource and an art zine. So okay. You're this, yeah, you're getting a really unusual book. Um, some of the pages are black and white. Some of them are color. But every spread that you open up to is a fusion of two artists. You know, it's one one person doing the doing the illustration, another person, you know, riffing on that illustration, writing their own their own entry. So um, it really is a cabinet of curiosities uh, when it comes to um the content it's uh it's great it's great yeah. stuff and again just a real murderer's row of of contributors yeah the the list is fantastic it's got you know some friends of mine diogo uh lfosr who i work with all the time uh, a lot of really great folks on that list so you know by the time this airs it might or might not still be on kickstarter folks I, uh <laughs> but you know if, if it's available for pre-order somewhere i'll drop a link otherwise you know just keep your eyes out i think it's gonna be really cool i backed it i think it looks fun um, yeah, so. it'll definitely be uh, open for pre-order and then we'll be on exalted funeral uh, in a couple months after we get it out it's already done you know we're, okay. we're literally just waiting uh wait, waiting for the proof to come back from the printer so yeah uh, yes i i know that feeling <laughs> um, so what this this sort of weird fantasy tone all your work has what what drives you to that over something that's more dark fantasy or heroic or light fantasy, like what what inspires this weird fantasy love? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a child of my of 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 nostalgia of the things that I kind of came up on. You know, I came up on Saturday morning cartoons and Star Wars and Indiana Jones and 
you know, Frank Frazetta paintings and Roger Zelazny and Lovecraft and Howard and all these things that are on my bookshelf, you know? Right. I was a, a fan of D and D yeah, probably since 83 or so. So I've been playing a good 30 plus years. Some editions. Yes. Some editions. No games. All of it. So I'm real again, just a, I'm a, I'm a child of, of those, of those influences. Sure. Uh, you know, I went through the grim and gritty comic era of the '80s. You know, where everything after after '85, everything was dark. You know, there for a good six, seven years. Um, so I, I tend to shy away from like a grim dark or a Zweihander approach, where everything is very dark and bloody and lethal. You know, I uh, I, I would try to approach the DCC um, aesthetic in. I, I really want to make make a memorable. Uh, I want to have memorable locations, interesting things happening, things that the players will talk about for years to come, you know. And to that, there's a book called um, How to Write Adventure Modules That Don't Suck. Goodman Games puts it out. Yep. I believe it's still in print. But there's a, a chapter in there written written by Joseph, uh, Joseph Goodman, that's fantastic. It's like everything that it's the best advice ever for writing an adventure module really that one paragraph it's full of good advice but that one that one chapter especially really informs how i like to go about doing things okay yeah it's good I, stuff. I think that's i think that's great i uh, i have read how to write adventure modules that don't suck and while it is excellent advice to not make me want to write them anymore they probably <laughs> suck less but i certainly don't want to do it any more than i did What's the whole thing about like write what you want to see? You know, like how many times as a as a young man did you go to the you know especially like during the nineties and stuff? Did you go to or early two thousands where you would go to the game store and you were like, all right, well I'm, I want to buy an adventure, I want to buy a game, let me look around for something that interests me, and you'd you'd pop stuff open and just be like, ah man, I wish this was better, or oh I wish this was different, or I wish they were putting out this, or I wish they had done this instead of that. So instead of complaining, I just started writing my own stuff. <laughs> hey, you know, I mean, that they always tell us to create the media you want to see, right? I remember, that, obviously, as you do too, I remember hearing that. So here we are doing it. And unfortunately, my problem is all I want to see are different rule sets. So... Well, I'm a firm believer in, 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 in do, do what you're good at, but then delegate what you're not good at to other people, or which even stuff that you don't enjoy, because a lot of times that that you not enjoying it will come through in right. the, if, if yeah. you try to force it. So I'm a, I'm right with you, man. I'm a firm believer in delegating uh, to people who are uh, better at doing certain things in a in a project. You know? Now I I will, and I I think my biggest frustration has been because I like making different rule sets. I find myself writing one particular iteration of an adventure, which is always the introductory adventure, right? right? Always what's in the book with the intro adventure to teach you the game. And no matter what system you put those on, they are generally sort of the same kind of adventure all the time. Sure. And you kind of go through the same beats. It always follows the same pattern. So it feels very tiring to me. I, uh, I just gave our tiny Cthulhu backers a adventure slash sort of multi-session campaign toolbox called the Illumination of Aldebaran. Which is this uh, Yellow King-esque Lovecraftian thing. And it came out to like, I want to say 80, 90 pages. Like, and it's an adventure, like, that I wrote. (laughs) Yeah. I loved it. It was great. And I had so much fun with it because it wasn't an intro adventure. I was able to just write something that I would want to play. And that was a lot more freeing for me. And so, you know, maybe maybe after talking to you, I might sit down and be like, I'm going to write an adventure. 
and then I'll get like halfway in and be like, now nah, I'm out. <laughs> the minute there's uh, friction, I'm done. No, and listen, the, the, in, in that same book we were talking about, like there's whole templates they lay out, like the, the little tricks and things you can do to to, to do that. Um, I just found that as a, as just like a, a common man's resource. It was just a really good uh, builder's yeah, kit for that. It's like that with like Tome of Adventure Design is another one that I don't immediately find. Like I don't pop it open to learn how to craft an adventure. But when I get stuck, well, I'm sure. like, ah, I, don't, you know, I need five rooms, man. Or I need to know like what the motivations for these five things, you know, whatever. I, I pop that bad boy open and in, in like five minutes I have everything I need because it's so well laid out. Right. I, I'm a big fan of the uh, five room adventure style that has sort of become popular over the last few years that I think is really Really elegant at distilling what makes an adventure tick down to the bare basics. Right. Do you like narrative driven or like location based or how do what's what's your favorite? Well, so that's a loaded question for me. <laughs> I play five different games a week. We have five weekly RPGs. And they range from one's a playtest group for my stuff. One is my Star Wars Pendragon hack that I've been oh. writing. Yeah. I I wrote a just like a hundred page Pendragon hack of star for star Wars. Um, nice. I'm a big Pendragon fan. Like it's my favorite RPG. I consider it the most perfectly crafted RPG of all time. It's pretty good. Um, and so I was like, you know, it'd be fun nights in space. And I have some <laughs> star Wars fans in my Friday group. And I was like, Hey guys, here's my pitch. And they're like, we're on board. And so I was like, cool, I'm not going to change any rules. I just kind of want to, we'll just, you know, narratively reflavor it. And then I wrote like a hundred page document. That's like Alan's house rules. Because right. Couldn't help myself. <laughs> and then on one of my groups, we play uh, Soulbound, the Age of Sigmar RPG from Cubicle 7, actually, which is a mix of sort of investigative dungeon crawly, uh, like kind of A-team but fantasy vibe to it. You just go on missions for God King Sigmar and do what needs to be done. Sure. And then I, uh, I also play one solo RPG a week. And then, uh, generally speaking, my other group rotates between some sort of crunchier sci-fi game. I play very crunchy games for somebody who writes very not crunchy games. But, yeah, I actually don't play a lot of fantasy anymore. It has a sort of, after, you know, 25 years of d and I've sort of fallen into, uh, I feel like I've done everything I want to do at the moment with it. So I'm doing other stuff. And so... Yeah, yeah. Fair enough, man. I, again, do what you're enjoying to do. You know, what stuff that you want to do. Yeah, but uh, I do want to write a mega dungeon. Like that's my dream. Yeah, one day, one day, real big mega. Well, and I've got Dyson uh, from Dyson Logos working on some maps for me now. So oh, nice, nice. I I finally was like, you know what? I keep saying I want to do this, but I haven't been doing it. So I am going to pull the trigger, and we're going to do it. So, well, uh, yeah, he's one of the best for sure. It, it's hard to want to do a map. And not have, you know, Dyson or Alyssa Faden or a few other people tackle it because they're all just, there's map makers and then they're up here, you know, at the top of the level, top of their game doing stuff in ways that nobody else is really thinking about. That's how I feel about Skull Fungus, uh, Carl Sternberg. Yes. Uh, his oh stuff is, he's, he's, he's probably my favorite. I mean, I, I, I love Alyssa and Dyson's work as well. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not putting that oh, down. Yeah. Uh, but just as for my particular sort of like weird aesthetic I, I i find that i match up really well with with carl his stuff yeah. i even like all, all of his solo stuff too is great i follow his, his patreon like i'm a i'm a true diet in the wool fan man i i one i was unaware that uh carl had a patreon so i will be finding that now it's and, awesome and cheap and but accessible 
it's great. It, Ix is one of the greatest sort of like adventure site right written in recent memory. Like, oh yeah, we, we had a long spate where there were classics. There were classics for ten years, and there wasn't a lot that to me felt like it was really moving the needle. And then in the last couple of years, there's just been like a slew of these adventures, and I'm like, oh, okay, now we're moving the needle. Now we're redefining what this looks like. Oh yeah, right, and that's been really exciting to be able to to see and kind of, you know experience and look at so oh there's a there's a bunch of guys like that out there now man they're just these killers are swimming through the water man like jacob hurst is another guy does is just doing ridiculously cool stuff um uh, charles ferguson avery uh he's done a bunch of yeah into the into the weird and wild or you know yeah. All, about, yeah. all those, but those into the weird and wild and in, into the Sess and Citadel. And I imagine they're going to go on with other versions of, of, of those kind of exploratory titles, but I'm here for every single one of them. Every into the weird and wild was the best book I picked up that year. And then this year when I picked up into the Sess and Citadel, still the best book I've read this year. Like they're just so top notch. Everything yeah. about them. It's just a 10 out of 10 across the board. Yeah. It's, there, there's a lot of great, and you know, I was having this conversation at Gen Con this year with somebody who was an RPG developer for what we would probably term as a major studio. And, you know, they were, they asked me something and I said, oh, well, look at these. And I rattled off, you know, a bunch of uh, small press indie RPGs. And they're like, I've never even heard of these. And I'm like, you need to be plugged into what's happening because this is where the good ideas are. Like, as much as I love you, love you, love you, bud, like this innovative stuff isn't really happening at your level because you're working with IPs where you're limited. You know, you're yeah. adaptations of material, you're stuck on 5e and you can only do so much. I'm like, the stuff you want to be looking at is the stuff that's popping out every week and hitting like that $2,000, $5,000 funding level on Kickstarter or whatever, because that's where people are taking risks and they're making cool ideas really happen. Oh, yeah. Some of the best material for 5e. In fact, most of the best material for 5e is not made by Wizards of the Coast or Hasbro or any, any, anybody involved. It's made by third-party publishers. Some of it, some of it doesn't even like barely even funds, and you barely even see it's gone there for a minute and it's gone. So you really have to be discerning and and and, and follow this stuff at a, at a level if you really want to get the best adventures. Yeah, it's there's so much great stuff out there that folks are sleeping on. You know, I spend a lot of my time and effort, you know, researching that stuff because I want to know what I'm yeah. looking at. <laughs> like, that's what's exciting to get. Like, yeah, it's nice to get the cool Spelljammer box set because I love Spelljammer. I'm a sucker for Spelljammer. Right, right. Like, and, I, and I'll never be unhappy when somebody's giving me more Spelljammer stuff. Like, no matter how good or bad it is, if you put Spelljammer on it and there's a griff, there's a there's a gift with a gun, I'm in. Like, that's my thing. Like, give me my Napoleonic Hippo soldiers. Like... And, you know, but, you know, Bill Jammer was innovative when it came out and now it's a nostalgia trip, you know, and it's exciting to see what people are doing that's similar to Spelljammer, like Planar Compass, where they're taking mm-hmm. some ideas and reiterating and moving them in different directions and different ways. And that's just fantastic. And, you know, so folks, if you're listening, you know, I think I speak for Levi when I say this, but we encourage you to check out the small presses and see what they're doing. Be, you know, not every small press is out there changing the game. But a lot of them are making these sort of passion projects happen in a way that you don't get to see in other places. And they deserve both the financial renumination, um, but also just your support and passion back because they love games as much as you do. And they're making this stuff happen. 
And there are some big, uh, there are a couple of the larger publishers that are really, really generous with their, <clears throat> with their IP. Absolutely. Um, Goodman games being one of them, man. They, I mean, I was on a podcast last night on jo- Joey Royale's pizza party. And he, Joey was talking about how like a third of the Goodman booth was all third party publishers. And this is somebody who went to Gen Con and I mean, that paid a lot of money to be at Gen Con with a big booth. You know, a lot of tables, and then took ha- then took a third of that and dedicated it to third party publishing. That's somebody who put their money where their mouth is, covered Absolutely. the spread. Yeah. No, I always I love walking by their booth at Gen Con because there's so much cool stuff sitting there. You know, and one of the things I've always been proud of is when Gallant goes to Gen Con. You know, we take up about half to sixty percent of our booth, and the other forty percent. 50% is other publishers who might work with us or friends from international places who can't come to Gen Con. You know, we'll stock their books for them, you know, to make sure they're getting out there and we're talking about them with people. And, you know, and I've always, I've always felt very strongly that gaming should be a more community focused, especially at the level we're operating at sort of cycle than, you know, a profit driven top down cycle. No, totally. And so, well, you've uh, you've ruined my day because I just picked up some stuff off Goodman's site while we were talking. So thank you for that. Uh, I'm sure my wife will be thrilled to get another big package at the yeah. Door. Good Goodman alone, that was talking about adventure modules. They have some of um, the most inventive uh, adventure modules in the last ten years. They're, some of their stuff is really, really well written, really, really good, very interesting and evocative. Yeah. There's um, a there's a lot of great funnels. Um, for DCC that really showcase what you can do with an adventure. And some of them are, and some of them, and I'll be frank, some of them are misses, but they showcase what you, what you can try. Right. And that's in and of itself really impressive. Right. Sometimes yeah, things don't work in RPGs. I've released games where certain things are, you know, looking back bad, I would say bad or garbage, you know, would be maybe the other word I'd use, but you know, I learned from those, right? I learned what to do, what not to do, how to improve them. And those ideas have reappeared in my later work. And I'm sure you're much the same. Absolutely. I just have to say that that, that kind of goes for everybody, man. So a lot of us get into, get into this and we're fans or we're, um, you know, we've been reading the books for a long time, but we don't have it down just yet. So it takes a couple projects for us to get the rhythm and get the get us rolling. Like I look back at some of my earliest stuff, man, I, I want to just throw it into the river. You know, it just it makes me it makes me almost upset at how 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 basic some of it can get. But then I did learn, and I did I did move on, and I I did go through the process to to improve the writing process and the art direction process, and the, you know everything involved. So, yeah. So you you said at the beginning here that the uh, King Tut's rootin' tootin' West weird Western extravagant bonanza Voren <laughs> Orban. I uh, feel like the Swedish chef near the end of that there. It's a What's your favorite thing you've written? Yes, sir. I had a uh, lot of fun writing that. Yeah. What? Why? Like, what makes it your favorite? <laughs> well, um, a couple reasons. The, the 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 first one that comes that just jumps to mind is that I was stretching into it. Like, I was stretching my my skills or abilities or my I was I was going into a new direction. I had never written anything that was of the Western genre before, much less the weird Western genre. And I'm, I'm such okay. a fan of weird Western in general because of the comic books that I grew up reading, you know, Jonah Hex and uh, house of mystery and weird Western tale, all this stuff, you know, 
that uh, I really wanted to go in that direction. I was very fortunate to team up with the artist uh, Ray Frendon. He's just a super skilled, massively talented artist. He, he, he did so many great things with that, with, with the art in that. And he just took it on and said, listen, I'll, I'll draw like 95% of this, you know, <clears throat> I had a couple other friends come in, draw a few pieces um, that they, that they were, you know, they read the descriptions like, oh man, I, I gotta, I gotta illustrate this. So just had a lot of really good, had a, had a good team. It's laid out well. It's illustrated well, and it really gets a, across that monster kid that's in that that's laying down deep inside of me. The kid who grew up reading Fangoria and Starlog, yeah, was always reading comic books and watching monster movies, and it really gets all that across. Uh, awesome. I mean, I think those are great reasons, um, and it's it's great to hear. You know. Uh, one that you sort of have that insight into what you're making. Sometimes I can feel like, I don't know, man, I just wrote it. Like (laughs) I, some, I don't know. Sometimes I don't have the answer, right? Like, why did you make this? Because I sat down and this is what came out guys. There's not like some science to it sometimes. No, no, for sure. And listen, that zine has an adventure where there is a, you, you know, you have an adventure where you run across uh, basically Twinkie, the kid uh, in a, in a, in a desolate town on the frontier and you gotta you gotta duke it out with him and his fruit pie minions and that's a you know if you had told me that i was going to write it write a miniature adventure called the town that dreaded cream filling i if you've told me that five years ago i told you that you were insane and that there's no way that was ever going to happen but that's what when i started chugging all this together that is what came through and came out the other side right yeah you know so, you know, one of the things I always like to ask folks on this podcast is to help us understand kind of where they came from and how they got where they are and where they might be going is uh, what some of the most influential games on them might be. So, you know, and I, and I told you I was going to ask this and you had some answers prepared. So uh, what what three games are the most influential on you? Well, one that is probably is on the lips of everybody that uh, comes on the show, or at least should be, because it's uh, the giant upon which we all kind of stand on its shoulders, is Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, in particular, for me, it was a D and D rather than the basic D and D. I didn't play basic for too long before I got into a D and D, and I played the first and second edition for a really long time. So um, that was hugely influential on me. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and and a lot of and there are a lot of the satellite products for AD and D too, like with roll aids and you know all this sure. weird little like fantasy hero, you know that kind of its own system, but right. really yeah. it's just and, yeah, you know. So there was a lot of that growing up. Okay. Then, then then kind of alongside that, and at the time I, I really didn't know that there was a difference, not until I really got into the rules of it all and started trying to run games my own, but. Dave Hargrave's uh, Arduin, Arduin Grimoire, the Arduin Trilogy, all that, all those little brown books, which I, I mean, I think they're fantastic. Now, well, you were not the first person this season to bring those up. So, <laughs> I mean, they were, they were kind of like with the, with the group that I started out with, they were just, you know, they were right there alongside the player's handbook and the deities and demigods. They were just another one of the books that came that was in the crate of books that we could all kind of, can I reach in and, and, and grab and read? Sure. But the thing that's really special about about uh, Arduin, and it's especially that uh, Hargrave era. Now, I mean, listen, it's a when you try to read them now, it's a mess. 
Like they are the, the typeset is like like eight point seven something, yeah, you know, something like that, seven or eight. They're really really tiny. It's all typed out. There's, it's full of uh, spelling errors. One minute you're talking about like rules for a class, the next minute you're talking about critical hits. Two pages over, there's going to be like five pages on prismatic walls. It's all just a, like just a grinder, like just gobbledygook, you know, kind of thrown in. But the thing that sets them apart is that it is so lush and full of ideas and plot hooks and interesting things that you can kind of like, oh, I can get inspired by that. I could, oh, here's an NPC I could write a whole adventure around. Like, right. It's so full of, of things like that through all the books that it was invaluable to me just as uh, on a creative space. So, yeah, Arduin, I owe a, a big uh, debt of gratitude to. Yeah. I mean, that. I think there are a lot of uh, gamers and game designers of a certain era that feel that way about that series in particular. Uh, you said three, yeah? Okay. Yeah. And this the, the third would be uh, would be the the game that I'm I'm really playing the most now, which is that Dungeon Crawl Classics. Sure. And not just DCC, but like I like Mutant Crawl Classics. I like Weird Frontiers. These are all hacks of the main you know Dungeon Crawl Classics engine. And the thing that I like best about Dungeon Crawl Classics is when I play it, I have a nostalgic feeling like I'm playing, like it's 1983 again. I've got that red box. I've got the first glimmers of the of the, the monster manual and I'm, I'm paging through it all again for the first time. The, um, the way that they handle magic, the mighty deeds for, for dwarves and warriors and, and so on, the luck mechanic. Uh, the way things that can, the, the way that things can go truly sideways in just a blink of an eye, it really reminds me of my favorite games growing up, you know, and yeah. as a young man. So, yeah, those are my three: DCC, Arduin, and D and D. What's your uh, What's your recommended funnel if people are starting with DCC if they wanted to get their feet under them? Oh, uh, uh, Sailors for sure. Sailors. Yeah, yeah, it's most definitely the the. I, I think like the if, you, if you're just playing it for the first time, that's the really the best introductory adventure. I mean, it gets the, the it gets the whole purpose of the funnel across. Like it's 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 pretty fly. I like um, Daniel Bishop's Arwitch Grinder as well, which is in the I think like Crawl issue six. Okay, um, it's like uh, amongst non DCC enthusiasts, it's not well known, but if you're in the DCC. Uh, kind of zeitgeist, you know about it. Like it's like, oh, I, yeah, that, that's a good one, you know. Okay. And there are lots of other adventures that aren't funnels that are, that are great too. Yeah, absolutely. But fun, a funnel is sort of, at least in my understanding, presented as the classic way to enter the DCNC. Yeah. Space, right. Totally. Like it, the the idea I, of the I, funnel is sort of their hallmark for session zero. Oh yeah, and you're you know in. If you, you start out with four characters and one of them survives, there's something that you're carrying into the, that next game where you're like, hey, my this guy survived. Like he he went through the grinder, man. He just, you know, he was he went through all that all that trouble and came out the other side a hero. And so you start out at first level with kind of like a little shine on your character. And that's just a that's just genius uh genius yeah. by design. Yeah, it's great. All right. Well, I mean, this has been a really fun conversation and I want to, you know, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. I've been wanting to connect for a long time. So I'm glad we got to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of your work and have been for years. So I'm excited oh, to be able to pick your brain and, you know, find out kind of what makes you tick. 
Yeah, dude. Coin and Blood is just, I, I really, really like those books. They're they, beautifully illustrated. The rules are so tight and it's just a ton of fun. So they were, they were a lot of fun to write. And I think they represent my sort of most, I don't want to say sincere, but my most committed effort in sort of the OSR space as it were directly. And, you know, I, I have a fond, a fond uh, affection for them. Yeah, dude, those are tight. Oh, good. Uh, my my friend Alex uh, Black Oath Entertainment keeps telling me I need to do more with it, and I keep telling him I'm out of ideas. That's why I did a second edition with all my ideas in it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but he's, he's he's hounding me for more, so maybe one day we'll see more. Do you have any questions for me? Oh, only about a billion. Fire away. <laughs> no, I mean I'm just saying, man. I guess it'd be really nice to connect connect with you. I guess I'm a I'm a fan of your stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping to run into you at a, at, a, at a con one of these days. I I have sort of reduced my con presence over the years lately. It's been it uh, expensive. <laughs> well, and you know, Gallant is my full time job, and every week I'm away, I'm spending money traveling to a con or doing something at a con, and I either right. have to be working and selling. Or I need to be comped to be there because it's just time away from the office where I'm working. And so, yeah, I have unlimited PTO and I control my own schedule. But the <laughs> drawback is, you know, I'm not making any money if I'm not doing it. Right. Sure. So so I have to be real judicious. And uh, unfortunately, that has kind of put a cramp on quite a few uh, convention appearances, though. I, uh, I did get invited to one out in... Uh, Vermont later this year, I think. Oh, sweet. I don't know if I, I don't remember if I accepted it or not. I'll have to check. <laughs> but I, uh, I generally don't get out to the East Coast very much because it's very far away from Fargo, North Dakota. So, <laughs> but everything is. All right. Well, Levi, if folks want to support you or find your work or engage with you online, what is the best places for them to do so? So you can find all of my stuff um, that's in print <clears throat> and you know, the PDFs for the stuff that's not. Uh, you can find all of that on Exalted Funeral. They've, okay. they've, they're really good about getting this stuff out fast. You, you, can, you can, They have bundles all the time, deals, summer sale, all, all kinds of stuff. Okay. If you want to find me on social media, I'm on Facebook at uh, Planet X Games. I'm on Twitter at Planet X Games Co, like C-O on the end of that. Uh, not hard to find. And then on Instagram at it came from beyond planet X. So where I talk about not just uh, games, but all kinds of movies and, you know, uh, comics and horror and sci-fi and all kinds of groovy uh, nerd, nerd geekery. So awesome. Well, uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great to have you and I really appreciate you making the time. Yeah, dude, this is a good hang. It absolutely was folks. I'm Alan Barr and this has been radio free RPG.